Jordan Windsor Podcast, episode number 158. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm so good. That is good. Well, we are the podcast where we discuss the latest happenings in the science fiction and fantasy world, uh, discuss the current book picks of the month, and of course, figure out what you guys are talking about over on our Goodreads forums. Yes, this is the Sword and Laser Book Club et al. <laughs> et al. <laughs> Very fancy, Tom. Thank you. I speak. That's about all the Latin I speak right there. Well, usually uh, we kick off the show with the What Are We Drinking segment. Unfortunately, this week we are boring. Yeah, tea, Earl Grey, hot. I got That's nothing. what I'm having. I don't even have nothing. A You're not even drinking water. water? That no. doesn't sound healthy. Yeah, I got a bottle of water, but it's been sitting there by the window for like <laughs> a couple of months. So I'm kind of scared to know. <laughs> yeah, what, no, what I thought you were going to say like the petri like dish for a couple of my hours. Bottle over there. No, no, it's it is uncleaned. Dispose uh, of that. Possibly radioactive mm. in some manner. Uh, water. Actually, leave it there and see what grows. You might have a story. <laughs> Good point. So let's move on directly to the quick burns. Our, I, I, I think we can call him friend of the show, John Donardo. Oh, totally. Right? Over totally. SF Signal. Totally. I, hope, I hope he would be pleased by that. Uh, he's got a post up about the 2014 Hugo Award nomination period being open. Uh, of course, everybody's got posts up about that. I saw Scalzi has it too. Uh, if you would like to nominate someone, you need to go to luncon3.org slash 2014hugos.php. And John's got the link over at sfsignal.com as well. The deadline for nomination ballots is Monday, March 31st, 2014 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Yes, and if you love us, we are eligible for the best fan cast category are we i believe we are we have been nominated there in the past um so if you want to give it a shot why not yeah sure why not no maybe next year we'll get some kind of um i don't know i don't think there's an anthology category oh could be best best editor long form yeah i (laughs) i feel like we might have an outside shot of best fan cast i not, you know, our anthology's got good stories, though. You're right. I'm, not, I'm yes. thinking of it as if I wrote it. I'm like, there's no way it'd win. But <laughs> no. our stories are actually really good. And our podcast is okay. Our podcast is not bad. It's all right. It's okay. <laughs> hey, you know who else is good? Uh, yeah, Neil Gaiman is really, really good. And in fact, uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane was named 2013 Book of the Year, uh, winning the public vote by a considerable margin, according to BBC News. Um, so I haven't read it yet, but everyone who I know who has says that it's fantastic. This is the National Book Award uh, public vote in the UK. But but if you didn't catch it, Book of the Year, not Science Fiction Book of the Year, not Fantasy Book, book of the Year, Book of the Year. Book of the Year. Yeah, of course he is well beloved uh, in the UK, so it is not not too too surprising. Uh, he's a, an, an extremely popular author, not just in genre fiction. So, but uh, the props, other man, good job. Did you see the shortlist? He was up against Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl. That was a bestseller. That was a huge one, yeah. Uh, David Jason's My Life, uh, Malala Yousafzai's I Am Malala. Oh, ow! Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> like that was not that was some stiff competition there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also in the best of end of the year award list category, uh, The Word Zone has published Ah, his top picks. Um, This is, of course, Adam Whitehead picking his uh, favorite books of the year. And we posted this over on Flipboard, but it is definitely worth another look. Uh, His top pick was The Adjacent by Christopher Priest uh, for novel. Um, I haven't read that one either, uh, but it's definitely going to be added to my to read list. 
Yeah, you're going to get a nice big to read list if you look at this. He's got Guy Gabriel Kay's River of Stars on there. Ancillary Justice is on there. Memory mm-hmm. of Light, of course. Elizabeth Bear's Shattered Pillars, Republic of Thieves, Alistair Reynolds on the Steel Breeze. I mean, these are, I'm just naming the one Tyrant's Law, Daniel Abraham. Uh, these are the ones that catch my eye as ones that I need to have on my list. And it goes, I love this oh. one, this award. The Wurtz Zone Award for pulling it out of the fire. <laughs> goes to Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson, A Memory of Light. And he goes on to say, bringing a series beloved by millions of readers to a successful, satisfying conclusion after the death of the original author is a very tall order indeed. But Brandon Sanderson managed to pull it off. Yes, the fates of a few minor spear carriers may be left unresolved, but overall this was a satisfying, explosive end to a series 23 years in the making. He also has uh, nominations for best games, best video games, best TV shows, which he picked Orphan Black, number one, one of my favorite shows of the year as well. And then at the very end, the Word Zone Award for Special Achievements in Eyebrow Acting went to Peter Capaldi (laughs) for his brief eyebrow appearance in the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special. Right, in the Day of the Doctor. Um, So that is... Look at you, all like Doctor... I almost forgot that you've like totally turned it around on the Doctor Who. I was going to like not assume that you knew anything. For those who don't know, um, I, I hosted the 50th anniversary Doctor Who special on BBC America. And um, I went through many, many months of actually not that many months worth of of marathon training in Doctor Who because I am a, a fan of stuff. I mean, I'm you know, I, I, I read genre fiction, science fiction, fantasy. I go to cons. I'm very passionate about many different IPs, right? And it's something I take very seriously. And so when I was asked to do the 50th anniversary in my mind, I was like, well, crap. I don't know that much about Doctor Who. It's been like one of the dark holes of my geekdom knowledge. But I can't do the fans a disservice by not understanding as much as I possibly can. And so I just went through this training regime of of show watching and learning and reading and talking to like all of my super Doctor Who fan friends like you and Justin Robert Young. And it it worked out in the end. I mean, I still there's definitely I mean, I'll never know it all, I feel. But at least I have a pretty good solid basis of, of knowledge now going into it for the future. Because I didn't oh, want right to, yeah. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to let people down because I know how excited and passionate people are about Doctor Who, and it would have been a disservice to them and to me if I didn't, you know, put my best foot forward. And of course, I just I can't half-ass something. That is go, to your credit, you Ms. know. Belmont. I couldn't. I couldn't just do it that way. It would have been lame. But anyway, I went off on a tangent because it's been on my mind lately. Yeah. So. No, you're you're a brand brand welcome. To the Doctor Who universe. Thank you. Veronica Belmont. Uh, I can't remember who posted this on Twitter. I, I think somebody at replied us about this and we threw it in our new Flipboard thing we'll I talk about it in a second. Was it Fee 501st? Okay. I I think you might be right about that. 300 years of imaginary spaceships from uh, the Library of Congress. It's a great article about different books uh, that have described spaceflight. And you may think, oh, okay, yeah, so we're going to get, you know, H.G. Wells stuff. Uh Uh-uh. How about 1638, a publication (laughs) by Francis Godwin called The Man in the Moon, describing the discovery of a big bird that 
a swan-like bird that flies this person accidentally all the way to the moon where they find out it's got plants and animals and a utopian civilization of tall Christian people. <laughs> and then he observes the earth moving through the sky, change of perspective. There's also Cyrano de Bergerac's fireworks-powered flight from 1657, mercurial static-powered platform, a machine bringing visitors to Earth from the planet Mercury in 1775. Did the test the fireworks-powered flight? That sounds familiar. I think they may have. They tested the balloon chair. I remember the Chinese balloon chair. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. But for some Um, reason, I feel like they must have tested the the fireworks-powered flight, which sounds really dangerous. Well, and (laughs) fireworks-powered flight is almost a trope at this point, but Cyrano de Bergerac... uh, it's essentially First a rocket. To write I mean, it's a rocket. If you get I, down to it, it's the I'm same just mechanics. Im- I'm just impressed at the depth of uh, the literature here and the mm-hmm. fact that it's from the 1600s and 1700s. Because we tend to think, we tend to want to assume like, oh, science fiction was birthed in the late 19th century with the, the advance of technology and steam power and all of that. But actually, Galileo's telescopic observations are really what started to kick people's imaginations into high gear, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, this next story is something very near and dear to my heart. Um, this is all about uh, what exactly happens with Sherlock, the, the collected stories, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories, when they enter the public domain. And this is cool because Sherlock is really in the public consciousness right now. I mean, there's so many different iterations of, of that classic story going on in, in public, in, uh, sorry, in, in popular culture. Well, between uh, the, the BBC, BBC show, show and elementary, elementary and the movies. The, the move, thank you for naming all the things. <laughs> there are the things for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's kind of a big deal. And what was uh, the, the way this kind of came up was that, um, Back in late December, there was a ruling uh, because there was a collection of stories for an anthology of new Sherlock stories um, that were all fan written. Um, and they refused to pay a license because most of the stories they were based on were already in the public domain. But the Arthur Conan Doyle estate argued that about 10 of the stories still remained under copyright and that they should be protected. Uh, now, the judge actually ruled against the estate and and said that, no, you kind of have to, you know, some are in the public domain and not Others, it kind of you need to lump them together. They're written around the same time, and so now everyone, the ruling is all encompassing, and so you can have your go at your at your John Locke fanfic, and and uh, without fear of retribution. <laughs> at your John Locke fanfic slash fic, yes. John Locke what? slash fic from Lost. No, 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 Tom, Tom, Tom. When you write slash fic about two characters in a story, you combine their names. Oh, you're combining the names. You totally threw me off. I'm like, the right. philosopher, the character from... Right. No. John Locke, Flash. Yeah, I got it. The, I'm with you it's now. It's too I've complicated to say Holmes, Watson, or... Yeah. Then I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have understood, though. Yeah, you say John Locke. Yeah, this is not as big of a victory as maybe it could be for the public domain. We have this crazy lifetime plus 90 years. Uh, and as they point out in this Flavor Wire article, it's unclear if any direct descendants uh, or a- a- if any of the family of the estate is really in any way directly connected to Arthur Conan Doyle because he has no direct descendants. Mm. So it, it, I don't want to get off on a whole copyright rant, but you know, the idea of copyright is it's supposed to encourage the public arts, mm-hmm. not provide 
income for distant relatives hundreds of years into the future. So I'm not happy ever to see anybody lose money, but I am glad that at least a line was drawn somewhere on copyright protection. And at some point, all all Dickens stuff is in the public domain. I'm sure there's still somebody who can prove they're related to Charles Dickens, but that doesn't mean they should collect royalties on everything Dickens ever wrote. So it sounds like you're a little bit on the side of, well, you know, if copyright is protecting the the estate or protecting the the heirs of the author, then it it shouldn't go directly. It shouldn't automatically go into uh, public domain. I am on the side of let's stick to the purpose of copyright, which is to encourage the public arts. And let's actually investigate and find out what encourages the public arts. Is it allowing the heirs to benefit from your work? Then that's what we should do. But if allowing heirs to benefit from the work does nothing to encourage the public arts, which no one has proved it has, then maybe it shouldn't be mm-hmm. the way we protect things. That's that's my take on it. Gotcha. But that's for another show. That's for another show that you are actually another ser- another series of shows <laughs> not that this. you probably host. <laughs> yes, called That's Daily awesome. Tech News Show. There you go. Uh, yeah, uh, you know this next story actually from Wired is a little bit out there as well, but it's Christian Jarrett talking about a study that they did with people in functional magnetic resonance image machines (fMRIs). fMRI, yeah. Where they they didn't have them read; they had them read before they went into the fMRI to see if the effects of reading changed their brain. And they found an effect. Now, Christian Jarrett has a great explanation of where the the line is drawn and what we can interpret from this. But essentially what they found was after nine days of reading in the evening and then answering questions about the book the next day, which I thought that was interesting because that Mm -hmm. might affect things too. When they went into the fMRI and just were asked to lie still, they found increased connections in the parts of the mind that sort of interpret what other people are doing or emulate what other people are doing, which makes sense when you're reading, you're kind of imagining what other people are doing, but also the part of the the brain that deals with touch and, and was it body image? I can't remember how they actually read it. So the, um, the author was kind of the author of this article on wired uh, Christian Jarrett was kind of skeptical of, of these uh, results at first, because he goes on to say that, your brain is changing all the time. Like everything makes changes to your brains. All your experiences change your brain. Um, but he goes on to write, the important result, according to the study authors, Gregory Burns and his colleagues, is that the participants' average brain connectivity patterns at rest were altered by the experience of reading Pompeii. That's the book that they were reading, Pompeii, a novel. The researchers highlighted three functional hubs in particular that appeared to show changes specifically related to the reading phase of the study. These hubs were in the left frontal regions, implicated in language function and representing other other people's perspectives, and in a region near the central sulcus, likely involved in controlling the body and processing touch. These changes lingered during a five-day period after their participants had finished reading the book. Now that is, we don't know if it's a long-term effect because they only studied them for five days after mm-hmm. they stopped reading the book. And the one about language functioning, representing other people's perspectives, you would kind of expect. You right, might guess. you're putting yourself yeah. in a different perspective. But the one involved in controlling the body and processing touch, that's almost as if you're feeling what is happening to the characters happening to you. Now, we don't want to jump to any conclusions about what this actually means mm-hmm. because there was no control group. Maybe the, just that process of answering questions and then going to an fMRI causes these effects. We don't really know. So I wonder if it does it make you more like empathetic 
like does it make you how is it changing your is well yeah i'm trying to go for that yeah i think yeah. so uh, that that is what is interesting about the study to me is that i would like to see more studies done along these lines to, to flush it out studies with control groups to see if they can replicate this effect because it it would definitely make sense to me that when i'm reading a book i put myself in someone else's place to the point where when you read something and you shudder and you're like, oh, I can I can hardly read that. It would explain why that is because you're actually in processing it in the part of your brain that processes real touch. Ah, oh, so interesting. Very cool stuff. Um, well, we mentioned it briefly uh, earlier in the show, but we have a Flipboard magazine that is up and functional and that you can subscribe to. Um, Flipboard, in case you don't know, is an application. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it's iOS only, although there may be an Android version. I'm not sure. Um, but to my knowledge, it's iOS only. I think Tom's going to look it up for me. I'm right looking. Now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we are able to share stories uh, with you, both from the show and things that we find uh, during the course of the day. Oh, Ms. Belmont. Not only is it available for iOS and Android, it's available for Windows Phone and BlackBerry. Snap. So you guys have no excuse not to download it. Um, so you should definitely check it out. It's a fun way of reading news. It has a very magazine-like feel to it. Um, it's highly visual. You can watch media uh, right within the, um, the settings. I mean, right within the screen. Um, so it's, it's a really nice app. Uh, they are in no way endorsing the show or paying us to say this. We just thought it looked cool. And it's a way, just another way for us to connect with you guys and, and share content. Yeah. And so there are lots of people creating magazines on Flipboard. And it's actually so much fun, I have found. When Veronica said, let's do this, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. You put a little bookmark in your browser. And then every time I run across a science fiction fantasy story that I like, I press the bookmark and it gets published to our magazine. So you guys might want to make magazines your own. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great way to share stuff that you're finding. Um, I'm trying to figure out who first recommended it to us. Um, Cause there was one guy that emailed a while back. I think his name was Mike. I think we talked about it on the show. Um, so if, so Mike, thanks. Thanks for uh, pushing us to do that. If I'm that's your that name. We Thank talked you. about it. I read his email on the show. I just have to find it. All right. But yeah, he was, that was a good idea. All right, on to the calendar. We've got a ton of stuff coming out in the next couple of weeks. Let's see how many names I screw up now. Uh, January 7th, we have On Such a Full Sea, a novel by Chang Rae Lee. Touch, Done. Queen of the Dead by Michelle Sagara. Dark Duets by Christopher Golden. Easy. A Wind in the Night, a novel of the Noble Dead by Barb Hendy and J.C. Hendy. Mm-hmm. Swords of Good Men, The Valhalla Saga by Snorri Christiansen. Oh, Christiansen. Christ- I would think Christiansen. Christiansen. But I don't oh. really know. That's, you know. Christiansen. Christiansen. Yeah. I'm going to say Christiansen. Snorri Christiansen. <laughs> okay. Also, the name Snorri is the best thing I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> Work Done for Hire by Joe Haldeman. Dreams of the Golden Age by Carrie Vaughn. Rex Regis, The Imaginer Portfolio. Imager. Damn it. Imager Portfolio by Ellie Modessa oh, Jr. What? So close. What? You got the it right. I no, I mean the imager. 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 <laughs> Game Slaves by Guard Skinner. Mm-hmm. Return to Trad Street by Karen White. And River of Dreams, a novel of Nine Kingdoms by Lynn Curland. Oh, yeah. No problems. Uh, January 14th, down the road a piece, Star Road by Matthew Costello and Rick Hatala comes out. 
you guys could be laughing at me at home. Maybe I'm mispronouncing these things. I have no idea. Uh, the Emperor's Blades, Chronicles of the Unhewn Throne by Brian Staveley. He Drank and Saw the Spider, an Eddie Lacrosse novel by Alex Bledsoe. And then January 21st, Star Wars Mall Lockdown by Joe Schreiber. And Halo, Mortal Dictata by Karen Travis. Excellent. A lot of stuff coming out. First of the year, Avalanche, you know. The first of the year, Avalanche. Absolutely. All right. Now we are moving on to TV movies and video games we almost never talk about video games though do we no we don't because i haven't really been playing a lot of video games um i'm just playing all i'm doing right now is playing assassin's creed black flag endlessly and i'm almost done i occasionally play forza motorsport or hearthstone oh right yeah you were playing everyone's playing it's not forza it's forza is that the italian pronunciation Uh, it's yeah whatever forza (laughs) Forza. 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 Forza sports. With the spicy meat. I'm sorry to offend the Italians and the audience. Way I'm making go. gnocchi for dinner. And now we lost. I really am making gnocchi for dinner. Are you? No. Oh. Yeah. I love potato pillows. Little potato pillows. Um, Stephen Chow's Journey to the West is uh, 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 a movie. A movie. Is it a full yeah. movie? I thought it was a short. It's a, it's well, a it's an ad. Adi- okay. Journey to the West. The connection here, by the way. Journey to the West is a Chinese classic. Upon which our book pick from last January uh, was based. I sorry, I got it on IM and it made me confused. What are you looking at your IMs? <laughs> I'm trying to tell me you about on Twitter Journey and it confused me. Um, I haven't watched this trailer yet. Is it good? Uh, the trailer is out of this world good. The movie comes to the West on March seventh, twenty fourteen. Uh, and if you like crazy kung fu, nutty dragons, just hilarious insanity you're probably going to love this at least awesome. by the look of the trailer ah cool i will watch the trailer sorry i didn't have master lee and number 10 ox was our book the first of the the trilogy our, our book last january and that was based on journey to the west or at least influenced by journey oh, to the west. Cool. and so that's why i thought it might be of interest to people that if is. you you know who aren't too busy with their ims Look I'm at the sorry. Tra- um, I got. Uh, I found my copy of that book. Actually, I was cleaning out my bedside table. Um, that is not news. That is fit to share <laughs> on this podcast. This just did. Found a book under my bed. It was that book. I'm not end. surprised. Read it. Didn't actually read it in book form. Read it on my Kindle. Mm. So that why happened. did you have the print book then? I don't know. I bought it. I don't know why. Maybe it wasn't on Kindle. Maybe I did read it in book form. Souvenir. Hmm. Anyhow, um, speaking of books, we are kicking off a new book this month, yes. and uh, it is one of Tom's pick. And Tom, you have stirred up some controversy in the forums. Have I? You have. What is the controversy? The controversy is, one, it's been a long time since we let them pick, which, granted, is probably true. Number two is that of all the Delaney books, you picked this one, and not other more familiar and easier, easier to find books by Samuel R. Delaney. Well... On the first point, I, I knew I was doing that, and it was because we needed to know a little bit ahead of time for our January 20th Borderlands appearance, what mm. our books were going to be. And so I was intending to do a January vote. I will Actually, die, Tom, if for nominated. our January 20th Borderlands event, we need to know the February book pick. Right, but you made me pick the January book so that you could pick the February book. I didn't make you do anything. Oh, now she backs out. I have the emails. I didn't right make you do hand. anything. You said you need to pick the book today, and oh. so I did. But th- that I will commit to March being a, a vote. Committing? Right? Okay, right March now. is a vote. 
March is going to be a vote. However, uh, the and reason it's going to be a science fiction vote. The reason I picked Einstein Intersection is I wanted to pick one of the Nebula Award winners. I wanted to pick an early one, um, and this one seemed to be more sci-fi uh, than than perhaps. Uh, uh, I don't know. I I thought it sounded more interesting. Now, usually, that's a recipe for disaster because when things are more interesting, they often are more divisive. And so I could see why people would start to complain. <laughs> I think people wanted us to read Nova. I think um, Nova was like the big hit winner. It was the, it was a nominee for the Hugo award in 1969. Correct. I, I, I know that, that Nova is well beloved. Babel 17 was the other Nebula award winner. Maybe we should have read Nova. No, it's okay. I actually, I loved this book. Um, I already read it. Loved? We're kicking it off. I know. I already read it and I read February's pick. Oops. Also, that's the other thing. It's a 150-page book, folks. It's pretty short. Yeah. It's a quick read. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is It is a, a very interesting book. Um, so a few little info grabs about it. It was the uh, Nebula Award for Best Novel in 1967, which you may have said. Um, also, oh, it was nominated for Hugo Best Novel in 1968. No. You have, uh, yes. Oh, okay, so it was a Hugo in 68 and a Nebula Award well, a, in 67. It was a nominee for Hugo in 68. It okay. didn't win. And it was published as Ace F427 with one of those classic Ace covers, too. I'm a, I'm a sucker for those old-fashioned book covers, and, nice. and it's got a great one. And uh, Delaney actually wanted the title to be A Fabulous Formless Darkness. Um, and they, Yeah, Ace. Can you imagine the people who make Ace books going, no, no that's a little <laughs> weird. <laughs> It's a little weird for us. They wanted it to sound more more sciency. That's yeah. why they said Einstein intersection. And uh, the, actually, Einstein is brought up in the book um, briefly, I believe, as a quote. I think. Oh no, I, th- I think that some of the characters are talking about Einstein's theories. Um, well, yeah, and the then so, so apparently, it comes up. It's not totally random. The title comes from the intersection of Einstein's theory of relativity with Gödel's incompleteness theorem, uh, and the the Gödel theorem is that there will always be statements about the natural number systems that we create that are true but unprovable within the system. So you can never fully prove any system of mathematics. And yet you also have relativity, which is this weird thing about uh, travel and and the fact that you you can never actually know the exact speed of anything, only the speed relative to another object, all of that sort of thing. Um, so it's very sciencey in that respect. But then on, on the other side of it, this race of people that you're going to meet are kind of they kind of seem primitive mm, yeah they seem primitive um but it's clear that they have come from a different world different universe perhaps and yeah and you also got a little post-apocalyptic strain i don't want to say too much about that because it's kind of spoilery but you know i'm a sucker for that always always um but samuel r delaney is an interesting guy um so he was abducted uh, uh, he was abducted, he by, was aliens. abducted by aliens which is the uh, the no, premise yeah. for all of his stories his right. actual life experience are all autobiographical <laughs> welcome um, to sword laser where we just make up things that should be true about authors he was inducted into the sci-fi hall of fame in 2002 um, which is great. I mean, that's. I ha- have you ever been to the science fiction uh, museum in no. Seattle? Where is the Hall of Fame? Can you go visit it? I thought you knew where it was because you were asking me if I'd been there. I, I haven't been there. I don't. I know was where- asking you about the museum. I've been to the the Hendrix Music Experience <laughs> in Seattle. No. Not the same thing. No, it's not. Uh, no, I have not been to any science fiction Hall of Fame. I am remiss. The uh, Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame 
was founded in 1996 by the Kansas City Science Fiction Fantasy Society. Is this real? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So it's in Kansas City. There was a... Uh, in, well, I've never been to it in Seattle. I haven't either. <laughs> I think you're thinking of the one they want to build in Seattle. No, We've no. Talked about that. Yes, uh, that one. But I'm talking but, about... Actually, this, I think the they the want museum. to build it in Washington, not Seattle. No, there's a museum in Seattle already. Oh, that's the Paul Allen yeah, one. Yeah, the Paul Allen I one. know what you're talking about. Man, there, and then there's going to be one in Washington, D.C. Yes. In They're 2003, all over the place. Okay, I'm, lousy. I am really getting off off the uh, thread of this show right now, so I'm just going to Let stop. me tell the folks a little bit about Samuel R. Delady. He okay. was published at age 20, all right? This guy's had a long career. Mm-hmm. He was born on April 1st, uh, 1942. His first book was Jewels of Aptor. He was raised in Harlem. His mom was a library clerk. His dad ran a funeral home. And his aunts were civil rights pioneers. He was a professor of English and creative writing at Temple University in Philadelphia, or he is now. I'm sorry. I kind of jumped all the way to the end of his life. Well, hopefully it's not the end of his life. And he's a director of the graduate creative writing program there. One thing about his history that I think is, is worth noting, Delaney and poet Marilyn Hacker met on their first day together in high school in September 1956. They married in 61. They were married for 14 years. They had a daughter together. But Delaney identifies as gay and Hacker identifies as a lesbian. And they don't have any problem with any of that. Yeah. And actually, um, his aunts were, did you say this already? Were civil yeah, rights pioneers. Yeah. So he's, he's yeah, that's cool. <laughs> he played in a folk rock band in the East Village called Heavenly Breakfast. Uh, and he won four Nebulas and two Hugos. Very cool. Um, sorry, man, for someone who's not drinking this episode, I am like, <laughs> I think people now realize why you usually, I need- drink to like calm my brain down to slow it down. Cause I just want to jump from one topic to another. <laughs> uh, that's, that's okay. So anyway, I'm, I like Einstein intersection. I'm not quite done with it myself, although I'm pretty close cause it is short. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fun read and you know what? It's good to have a controversial read. I think it's good sometimes to go off the beaten path. I, I know some Delaney fans are probably upset because with with an author that you love, you want to introduce people to the best thing. Mm-hmm. And I tend to do this where, oh, for instance, Stanislav Lim. I didn't give <laughs> for instance. you the best work. I gave you something I liked. Um, but I, I, I think it helps expose you. And now if you learn Einstein Intersection and then you go on and you read Nova, you're going to have a great appreciation for Nova as well. So. Hopefully it's not seen as a waste of time, but we will always take your critiques into consideration in future. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys That's better pick something book- good oh. for March. Ah, now Belmont's going to put your feet to the fire crowd. The pressure, the pressure is on you now. I, I see. You turn the tables. Maybe I'll let them pick a fantasy for April also. That would be nice. Um, hey, so by the way, speaking of book picks, um, last month we read A Natural History of Dragons. And uh, when I posted the podcast link to that episode, uh, author Marie Brennan actually jumped in and said that she would uh, answer any further questions you guys have about the story, about her writing process, um, anything that you guys felt like we didn't quite get to during our interview last episode. Um, so f- please feel free to jump in there. She she wrote a, a big, long answer to, um, Terp to Terp Kristen and also yeah. to Rob, um, answering some of their questions about religion and about um, all sorts of other stuff in terms of the societies that, that Isabella was was discovering and traveling through um, within the story. So yeah, check that out. It's it's always great when an author uh, has the time to like really engage with our audience and answer questions personally. Um, that's one of the things that we love about the show and about Goodreads, too. Yeah, thank you, Marie, for doing that. That's that's fantastic. 
Um, so super cool. And also, uh, since it is the new year, of course, now is the time to update all of your reading goals over on Goodreads. Uh, Terp Kristen, again, uh, getting some shout outs on the show today, uh, writes on Goodreads. It's that time of year again as a follow up to the 2013 Did You Hit Your Reading Goal thread and a corollary to the sign up for the 2014 TBR Triple Dog Reading Dare thread. What are everybody's reading goals for 2014? Yeah, yeah you do realize we talked, we mentioned this thread in the last, not the Marie Brennan interview, but the show before that. This thread? Yep. In the show before that? <laughs> In episode 156. But it was before it was saying, hey, set your reading goals. And the thread has continued since then. So oh, people are actually starting nice. to. You're trying to make it sound like it's on <laughs> purpose. People are starting to say all of the things that they're doing now. Okay. Uh, since we mentioned it on that episode. What is your reading goal? You know, I don't set, as I mentioned before, I don't set reading goals. <laughs> It's like I'm not even on the show sometimes. <laughs> um, I put my reading goal to 30 because um, I last wow. year I did 25 and um, I darn well better do at least 30 because between the two book clubs, you I have, have to read 24 take, books right? for vaginal fantasy alone if I read all of them and then 12 books for us. So really, that's more like 32 books. I need to be 30. Wait, you know, it's 24 books. Carry the one. Four, five, six, seven, eight, Do some nine, math. 11, so f- 36 books is how many I should be reading every year. Wait, what? You have Vaginal Fantasy, Sword and Laser, and then what are the other 12? That's it. No, no, that's that's it. 36 oh. total. So, no, Minimum. That's, that's 24. No, 24. We have two book picks. Oh, because you guys fantasy. have two on that. Va- oh, okay. That's what I was missing. We have alts that we're supposed wow. to read. Wow. Yeah, so 36. Crazy so town. I should be reading 36. So I, I did 30 to kind of say that most of the time I probably won't get to read the alt picks for VF. Mm. Right. So that's that. Man, sorry I was so out of it on the show. I suck. It's you getting back suck. into the swing of things. I've been on vacation for like two weeks. Like, even though it sounds it like we did podcasts, we You've actually recorded brain. those like way earlier. Yeah. Um, because we were all away because one episode was on, on Christmas Eve and then the next episode was on New Year's Eve. And so I'm just not in the swing of podcasting. I'll get back. I promise. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, don't worry about it, folks. This As, is this is podcasting. This is the podcasting world. You get, exactly. you get the real. Especially since now that we are on the Boing Boing Podcast Network, um, I really need to get my crap together. Um, there's tons of great shows over on uh, boingboing.net slash category slash podcasts. And um, the Not Playing Podcast this week is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Time. <laughs> I like Ooh, the combination there. I like that. Yeah. Um, like, so nice that means up. that one of the guys on the show has not seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And uh, they're going to watch it and then have a fantastic discussion about it. And that's a fantastic movie. So I kind of want to listen to this episode and see what goes down. Check it out. Boingboing.net. Also, as we mentioned, subscribe to our Flipboard. Flip.it slash LRHE5. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, we'll have this link on the website. Find it a little easier. And if you want to leave us an email, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussion happens over on Goodreads. And if you want to call and leave a voicemail, the phone number is 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.
This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.